Chapters thirty three and thirty four of the third volume by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty three. The Story of the Mad Gardener. Having made this startling announcement, Dick Pendle drew back to observe the effect on his hearer. Humoring the man's vanity, Tate expressed due surprise and requested him to narrate the circumstance to which he referred. It is about twenty five years ago, it is said dick commencing his tale in a great hurry and i was the gardener here to captain larcher you don't know him sir it ain't to be expected as you should he was a grown gentleman before you were and a kind un he was took me out of the asylum he did they said i was mad you know and put me into a straight waistcoat but i wasn't a bit wrong in my head sir not i captain larcher he saw that so he took me out and made me his gardener and ain't i done a lot for the place just you look round and see your work is admirable dick it is that replied the man with naive vanity and you ain't the first as a said that sir oh i'm fond of the garden i am flowers are much nicer company than human beings i think not so cross with dicky you know sir no doubt said tate seeing that the creature was following the wanderings of his poor wits but about this murder you i didn't know anything was wrong interrupted the gardener earnestly i'd have kept out of the way if i'd known that but i came here one night when i shouldn't have been here how was that hot rum and water confessed dick with great simplicity i drank it too much of it and it went to my head it isn't a strong head so i came here to sleep it clear again that was about twelve o'clock as near as i can tell but lord bless you my head made no account of time when the hot rum and water was in it i woke up and i was frightened finding myself in the dark i hate the dark don't you sir so i finished some rum that i had with me and went to sleep again then i woke up sudden i did and i saw it the murder being committed no not quite that but i saw a man lying on the ground just over there and he didn't move a bit another man was holding him in his arms and dennis bantry was standing by with a lantern who was the other man it was a gentleman called mr jerringham oh yes my head was queer but i knew him by his clothes i did i was at the grand ball of the gentry you know was there i got drunk and i saw mr jerringham there in black clothes with gold trimmings he had them on when he bent over captain larcher how did you know the man on the ground was captain larcher i didn't then confessed dick ingenuously but when i heard as they found him in the river i knew it was him i did i saw them drop him in dennis bantry and mr jerringham exclaimed tate astonished at the minuteness of these details yes they talked together for a bit but my head was so queer that i couldn't make out what they said but they picked up captain larcher one at the head and the other at the heels and they dropped him in splash he went he did i was behind a tree and they couldn't see me ah said the man with a shiver how i did feel afraid when he went splash in the cold water then i went away and held my tongue why did you do that it was your duty to have come forward and tell the truth 
dick pendrell put on a cunning look and shook his head not me sir he said artfully they'd have said my head was queer and put me in an asylum again no no dicky was too clever for them he was but you say it was dennis bantry who killed captain larcher said tate after a moment's reflection how do you know that when you did not see the blow struck it might have been mr jerringham looking lovingly at the piece of gold which was now in his possession dick shook his head with great vigour it wasn't mr jerringham he protested he was a good kind gentleman he gave dicky half a crown the day before he was fond of captain larcher's wife so he couldn't have killed captain larcher against this insane reasoning tate had nothing to urge as dicky was evidently convinced that dennis bantry was guilty to the exclusion of jerringham had the former given him money instead of the latter he would doubtless have accused jerringham and sworn to the innocence of dennis the man's brain was too weak to be depended upon but tate recognized that the report he gave of the occurrence of that fatal night was true and faithful in all respects dicky was not sufficiently imaginative to invent such a story satisfied from the importance of the knowledge he had gained that his time had not been wasted tate wished to be alone to think out the matter there was some difficulty in getting rid of dicky who was still greedily expectant of further tips but in the end he induced the man to return to his work and set out for horriston at a brisk walk he always thought better when exercising his limbs and before he reached the town he had arrived at several conclusions respecting the case as seen under the new light thrown on it by the gardener for one thing he concluded that Paynton was jerringham the reason for dennis being in his service had been explained by dick pendle as the two men were bound together by a common bond of guilt tate was inclined to think that jerringham was innocent for if he had killed larcher there would have been no need for dennis to have screened him on the other hand circumstantial evidence was so strong against jerringham that if dennis had struck the blow he would be forced to acquiesce in the silence of the real criminal to become as it were an accessory to the crime dennis could have sworn that jerringham was guilty and so placed him in danger of his life thus the two men had a hold on one another jerringham because circumstances were against him dennis because he had killed larcher the motive for the crime was not difficult to discover after the story told by mrs bezel bantry had killed his master as the destroyer of his sister's honour under the names of Paynton and carey the two men were dwelling together at thorston in loathed companionship each afraid to let the other out of his sight tate could imagine no more terrible punishment than that enforced comradeship it reminded him of a similar situation in a novel of zola's where husband and wife were equally culpable equally afraid and filled with equal hatred the one toward the other still this conclusion supported as it was by facts did not explain the attitude of hilliston assuming the guilt of dennis bantry the complicity of jerringham there appeared to be no reason why hilliston should protect them at thorston and throw obstacles in the way of the truth's discovery tate was completely nonplussed and could think of no explanation and then he remembered mrs bezel's letter and the mention of louisa sinclair hilliston according to mrs bezel knew this woman and she knew who had committed the crime but how could she know unless she had been concealed like dick pendle in the garden on that night tate was quite certain that dennis bantry was guilty but the hint of mrs bezel threatened to disturb this view and yet what better evidence was obtainable than that of an eye-witness 
still tate remembered that dicky confessed he had not seen the blow struck what if louisa sinclair had that was the question he asked himself under the circumstances it was necessary to find out who this woman was tate did not judge it wise to ask hilliston for the simple reason that the lawyer would not admit the truth there was no obvious reason why he should not but tate had sufficient experience of hilliston's trickery and evasion in the past to know that his admissions were untrustworthy there only remained for him to search for louisa sinclair in horriston question her if she were alive or learn all that he could if she were dead and now occurred a coincidence which unwittingly put tate on the right track when within half a mile of horriston he met a clergyman swinging along at a good pace and in him recognized the former college companion the recognition and the delight were mutual my dear brandon this is indeed a surprise exclaimed tate holding out his hand i had no idea that you were in these parts i have only been a vicar here for a year answered brandon cordially but what are you doing at horriston my friend oh i have come down partly on business and partly on pleasure then dismiss business for the moment and come to luncheon with me i am just going to my house where are you staying at the royal victoria a dismal place you must come frequently to see us while you stay here and we will do what we can to cheer you up mrs brandon will be delighted to see you oh so you are married for the last five years two children well i am glad to see you again do you stay here long a few days only replied tate carelessly but it entirely depends on my business anything important yes and no by the way you may be able to help me brandon do you know any one in this parish called miss louisa sinclair the vicar reflected for a few moments and shook his head no i never heard the name she must have been here before my time have you any reason for wanting to see her naturally or i should not have asked said tate with faint sarcasm however i must make a confidant of you as i wish for your advice and assistance i shall be delighted to give both said his friend briskly but here we are at my house and there is my wife in the porch my dear this is an old college friend of mine spencer tate we must make him welcome for the days that have been mrs brandon a comfortable rosy-cheeked matron with two tiny brandons clinging to her skirts heartily welcomed tate and led the way to the dining-room here an extra knife and fork were hastily produced for the guest and they all sat down to luncheon in the best of spirits for the moment tate banished all thought of the case from his mind and laid himself out to be agreeable to the vicar's wife in this he succeeded as she subsequently pronounced him to be a singularly charming man while he pronounced her to be one of the most intelligent women it had been his fortune to meet after luncheon brandon conducted tate to his study and there over an excellent cigar the little man related the story of the larcher affair from the time that claude became possessed of the papers needless to say the clergyman was much astonished by the recital and agreed with tate that it was difficult to know which way to turn in the present dilemma he thought that dennis was guilty and jeringham an accomplice by force of circumstances but doubted whether the existence of louisa sinclair might not altogether alter the complexion of the case of course the difficulty will be to find louisa sinclair he said thoughtfully five-and-twenty years is a long time to go back to she may be dead so she may rejoined tate a trifle tartly 
on the other hand she may be alive i found that waiter and that gardener who were at horriston then both remember the case so it is probable that i shall find this woman or at least gain sufficient information to trace her whereabouts i cannot recall her name tate she has not been here in my time fortunately i can help you in this much that an old parishioner of mine is calling to-day and as she has lived here for the last forty years and more it is likely she will remember if such a person dwelt here who is this old lady my dear fellow you must not call her an old lady it is true she is over forty but well she is always young and charming in her own eyes miss belinda pike is her name and i shouldn't like to come under the lash of her tongue is she such a tartar she is my dear fellow you must not ask me to talk scandal about my parishioners moreover i see the lady in question coming up the garden path once set her tongue going and you will learn all the history of horriston for the last hundred years i only want to go back twenty-five rejoined tate smiling and at that moment miss belinda pike was announced she was a tall bony female with a hook nose a false front and an artificial smile dressed in voluminous raiment she bore down on brandon like a frigate in full sail and proceeded to talk all the time she remained in the study she talked of herself of parish work of darkest meetings of scandals new and old and so astonished tate by the extent of her petty information and the volubility of her tongue that he could only stare and wonder introduced to him she was graciously pleased to observe that she had heard of him and his inquiries the waiter you know mr tate she said smiling at his astonishment sugden is his name he told me all about you now why do you wish to learn all about that larger crime for amusement merely replied tate rather scandalizing the vicar by his answer the waiter began to speak of it and i encouraged him later on i heard the story from a gardener from dicky pentle interrupted miss pike vivaciously oh he can tell you nothing he is mad mad or not he told me a great deal all false no doubt my dear mr tate continued the lady impressively only one person can tell you the truth of that case myself or louisa sinclair louisa sinclair what do you know about her nothing save her name replied tate but i want to know more can you give me the required information yes come and have afternoon tea with me to-day and i'll tell you all oh yes said miss pike with a self-satisfied nod i know who killed captain larcher jerringham dennis the valet hilliston no those three people are innocent i can swear to it i know it then who is guilty why said miss pike quietly mrs larcher's maid mona bantry thirty four a letter from horriston my dear claude in my last letter i informed you of my various discoveries with regard to the case i deem myself singularly fortunate in finding those who could afford me the necessary information five-and-twenty years is a wide gap of time and to tell the honest truth i scarcely expected to be successful in my mission death absence old age might have put an end to all who knew about the case but as you are already advised i unexpectedly met with three people who gave me three different versions of the murder from their various points of view first the waiter sugden who merely reflected the opinion of dick pentel 
second the gardener himself with his first-hand story and third miss belinda pike whose ideas are quite at variance with the other two i mentioned to you that i had met miss pike at my friend brandon's and that she had invited me to visit her the next day to hear her story of the case of course i went and found the lady an excellent character for my purpose she has a truly wonderful memory for the small beer of life she is a born gossip and is one of the most spiteful women it has ever been my fortune to meet her invitation was more to satisfy her own vanity and curiosity than because she wished to do me a service but if she is gratified in the one she is balked in the other with some difficulty for she is a most persistent creature i managed to evade her inquiries as to my reason for wishing to know about the larcher affair and extracted from her all information likely to be of service to us in discovering the truth what she told me leaves me more in the dark than ever and i shall doubtless return to thorston no whit nearer the truth than i was when i set out but before narrating her story as imparted to me in strict secrecy you must not be offended if certain reflections are cast by this busybody on your mother to get at the truth of this complication you must view it from a disinterested standpoint and throw aside all prejudice i do not for a moment believe that mrs larcher intended to wilfully deceive her husband as implied by miss pike but i must confess i think her conduct was highly reprehensible still i pass no judgment as it is not my place to do so and you must clearly understand that the remarks herein contained about her are those of miss pike you can guess from their tenor what a very spiteful old lady she is i promise to report my doings and hearings faithfully to you and i hereby keep my promise and at the cost of your losing your temper the cause of miss pike's malignity is jealousy a passion which is as active now with her as it was twenty-five years ago then the fair belinda according to her own account was the belle of horiston and shared that enviable position with two rivals the one being your mother the other miss louisa sinclair i fancy i hear you exclaim at the mention of this name but mrs bezel is right such a person does exist she was a passably pretty girl according to miss pike and rather popular again miss pike but cared for no one so much as mr francis hilliston then a handsome young lawyer of great promise and good family this is evidently the romance of hilliston's life and accounts for his silence about louisa sinclair he did not wish to speak of one who had disappeared under somewhat discreditable circumstances yet who truly loved him whether he returned her love i cannot say suspend your judgment till you hear the story of this maiden lady of course it is quite different to that of dick pendle and i think less easy to believe the gardener spoke of what he saw miss pike speaks of what she thinks judge for yourself which is right as i have said miss pike was a belle in her younger days she was also well off and could have made a good match unfortunately she was in love with hilliston i say unfortunately because he happened to be in love with mrs larcher i again apologize for putting the matter so plainly but miss pike insisted that it was so in those days hilliston must have been a handsome and fascinating man for louisa sinclair also loved him with a like result he had no eyes for these two damsels but quietly devoted himself to mrs larcher i do not mean to say that he roused the suspicions of your father for his devotion was perfectly respectful 
the desire of the moth for the star i may say for hilliston knew well enough that he had no chances in that quarter for two reasons first mrs larcher was a married woman second she was in love with jerringham at the time of that notable dress ball matters stood thus miss belinda pike in love with hilliston miss louisa sinclair in love with hilliston hilliston in love with mrs larcher mrs larcher in love with jerringham can you imagine anything more complicated and to make confusion still worse miss pike solemnly asserted that jerringham was not in love with mrs larcher but with her maid mona bantry therefore all round each of these five people was in love with the wrong person it was a modern comedy of errors with a tragic ending miss pike went to the ball in the character of a flower-girl and there was astonished to find two mary queen of scots and two darnleys during the night she learned that out of jealousy louisa sinclair had adopted the same fancy dress as your mother she was the second queen of scots and was attired precisely the same in all respects save that mrs larcher wore a small dagger and miss sinclair did not on making this discovery miss pike naturally thought as a jealous woman would that the second darnley was hilliston she knew that the first was jerringham and did not trouble herself about him but manoeuvred to get speech with the second to her astonishment she found out how i cannot say that it was captain larcher who was supposed to be in london he confessed that he was jealous of his wife and had returned in disguise to learn the truth miss pike was not clear whether he was suspicious of jerringham or of hilliston and she had no opportunity of learning the truth as larcher seeing his wife leave the ballroom followed her at once the next day miss pike was informed of the disappearance of jerringham and later on she learned of the death of captain larcher now you will ask whom she suspected a woman with so unhappy a temper would not be long in forming an opinion about a matter connected with a lady of whom she was jealous i allude to your mother miss pike had a theory and ever since declining to accept the evidence given at the trial has held firmly to it she suspected mona bantry to be guilty i give her reason in her own words of course it is only theory she said when i asked her point-blank who she thought was guilty but my suspicions point to mrs larcher's maid to mona bantry i asked rather astonished yes she was in love with mr jerringham and he was at the ball dressed as darnley captain larcher wore the same dress as i told you he left the ballroom when he saw his wife go out with mr jerringham i fancy he followed them home and caught them as they parted in the garden of the laurels very likely he ordered mr jerringham off the premises and insisted on his wife going into the house mona who was sitting up for her mistress would open the door and seeing by the dress as she thought mr jerringham with mrs larcher i believe she lost her head and killed him killed him but how with the dagger worn by mrs larcher responded miss pike triumphantly she snatched it from the sheath as it hung at the girdle of mrs larcher and killed the poor man thinking he was her lover then finding out her mistake she fled but so did jerringham i said yes he also saw the murder and naturally enough thought he might be suspected i think he took mona away with him on the very night and they fled together as to the body dennis the brother to save his sister and possibly his mistress from being suspected threw it into the river that is my theory mr tate 
and i believe it to be the true one i need not repeat more of our conversation as it was merely argument on both sides but you now know sufficient to see in what direction miss pike's suspicions are directed her story is quite at variance with that of your mother who plainly stated that she found mona in the sitting-room with your father it is not strange that the two narrations should be contradictory for we must remember that mrs larcher spoke from facts while miss pike only speaks from hearsay again from the statement of dick pentel it would appear that the murder took place in the garden your mother says it was committed in the sitting-room so here is another contradiction but you must not forget that only one person has sworn to the identity of those he saw with the body miss pike can prove nothing from facts and only evolves accusations out of her own malignant nature your mother accuses no one alleging that she fainted in the sitting-room therefore taking all facts into consideration i believe the gardener's story to be true and that dennis bantry killed your father jerringham through force of circumstances being an accessory to the deed this view accounts for the identity of Paynton with jerringham of carey with dennis and fully accounts for their living in seclusion at thorston this is my opinion do you think you can give a better regarding your mother's hint about louisa sinclair i confess i cannot understand it miss pike was perfectly frank about that person and stated that shortly after the murder she went to america and had not been heard of for years hilliston may know of her whereabouts but under the circumstances i do not think he is likely to speak at all events we are certain of two things that louisa sinclair did not marry hilliston that she had nothing to do with the tragedy at the laurels miss pike intends to show me a portrait of the lady on the occasion of my next visit a knowledge of her looks may lead to something but honestly speaking i do not see how she can possibly be implicated in the matter but i must bring this long letter to a close i have found out sufficient at horriston to justify our suspicions of the menage at rose cottage and when i return we must set our wits to work to see Paynton and carry they must be forced into plain speaking then we may solve the mystery of your father's death not before expect me in two days and think over what i have written so that we may discuss the matter thoroughly when we come together and so no more at present from your friend spencer tate End of chapters 33 and 34